Hello, everyone, and welcome back to We're Watching Star Trek, the original series. I am Brandon, and as always, we're here with Paul. Yo, what it is? Giddy up, people. We're here again with a great episode. Uh, let's talk about it. I really thought you'd forgotten that. Never. But nope. <laughs> and so Dan's still here. I'm upset that he stole my giddy up, so I'm just going to say giddy up anyway. Uh, you know, I actually... Um, I I made uh, I photoshopped an image of the uh, original Enter- Enterprise, but I took the Enterprise name off and put it as the USS Giddy Up, awesome. and uh, tweeted it out to Paramount to see if they would be willing to put it in one of their shows, and they did not respond. Oh, haters, <laughs> man! They're haters. Yeah, There's like who the who the they, fuck they is this? They probably banned you from the streaming <laughs> yeah. service. They're actually going to shut down Star Trek. The, the picture was that bad. They're just going to stop producing Star Trek. Like our fans are insane. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, today we are going to cover season one, episode 16, the Galileo seven. I was wrong. It's not a sweet assassin group. Like it sounds like it could be. It's not, not even close actually. Or, or a great, a great dance group too. The Galileo seven. Yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's a, it's like a seventies, uh, seventies band, Paul Crowder and the Galileo seven. <laughs> that works. I'm, I'm writing that down. That's my new, that's new, new name for my new rap group I've ever come up with. <laughs> yeah. The Galileo Seven. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the original air date for this was January fifth, nineteen sixty seven. So it's the first episode of Star Trek of the new year of nineteen sixty seven. Woo! And of course, it opens with the Enterprise flying towards a large green nebula like space, while Captain Kirk is narrating a captain's log that just says that they're on their way to uh, Machis Three with a cargo of medical supplies. And they've got to go past Murasaki 312, which is a quasar-like formation. That's the the big green one that we get to see. Which looks really good. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah. The, 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 that CGI in particular, the green thing, looked really cool. Yeah, another one of those things I wish I could see the uh, non-remastered version. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm worried about that. Yeah, but it's a, he describes it as vague and undefined and says it's a priceless opportunity for scientific investigation. And he says that the Galactic High Commissioner Ferris is on board to oversee the delivery of the medical supplies, which is another really weird thing. Like, they've done all kinds of weird deliveries and didn't have, like, a Galactic High Commissioner on board. Yeah, it was like, his there his presence there was so annoying to me and irrelevant for that for the episode. And then he just yeah. he just looks mean. Like, he looks mean. Yes. He just looks like he has a, a face on, and his clothes are just, I'm going to get those outfits. That's a whole other thing, but let's just say I'm not <laughs> sure if that's what high command should be wearing. I'm saying that's not really what's in it for me. So mm, they need to check, check their high, high class uh, gear for that one. Like, and and we're 16 episodes in at this point, and um, nobody that gets introduced in the beginning of the episode is ever like a, a a good or decent person. They're always like an antagonist, and I kind of want to see that change. Like. Yeah. Why can't, you know, Ferris do something cool? But, like, you can tell just by looking at him, he's just going to be an asshole. Or it's like, uh, or they die. Like, you see somebody that's yeah. coming there new, you're like, oh, he dead. Like, he just Yeah, somehow. there's like a 50-50 shot that ain't going to make it. Yep. All the time. Like, you're either going to be dead or you're a dick. Yeah, or both. Or both, yeah. It's, it's never neither. It's never neither, though. Yeah, so Ferris enters the bridge and uh, Kirk calls the shuttlecraft Galileo and tells Spock to stand by so we know what Galileo is. And then Ferris tells Kirk, he's like, hey, you know, I don't I don't want to have this delay. Uh, we need to get continuing on with that delivery. And Kirk says that he has orders to investigate quasars and quasar-like phenomena wherever they may be encountered. So he's like, oh, besides, you know, it's three days to Marcus and the rendezvous doesn't take place for another five. So, you know, Kirk just laying it down again, or like already. He's 
nobody takes command from him. He, like, yeah, nobody, nobody comes in and tells him what to do. Nobody takes command from him. And I like how it gives you all information of what's going on really quick and really simple. So it's easy to digest and understand, too. It's like, okay, there's five days. We got three days for this. We're getting doing this. Like, it kind of lays out the whole, the whole part of the whole episode, too. And I also like that Kirk is just like pacing around the bridge here. Like it's a really weird couple of shots because he's not just chilling in his chair like he always is. Like, yeah. he, you know, they kind of follow him around. And actually, it makes the bridge feel really small with how close they shot it to. I don't know why. Like yeah. normally the bridge looks like it's absolutely huge. But this was like really, you know, close. Well, it also makes him look like he's like also uh, following like eight or five things at once. He's checking this, checking this, checking yeah. that, checking this, whatever. It's the first one of the first times we've seen him. Like walking each station, trying to make sure everything's going on. Like it makes you realize this 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 uh, quasar, with the word they used, effect must be so important that he's making sure every detail is right because this this is super rare. And we need to record it because this is history you're, you're viewing. So it kind of makes yeah. the so it kind of makes the whole idea of the quasar even more important by the way he's doing it subtly, where it's like okay, make sure everything's right. This is important. This is important. So it's like I, I saw that in it too. Which don't they have more people on? on deck right now scanning than they normally do on the bridge yeah the bridge seemed pretty packed which i mean i guess it would have to be you'd want somebody at like every station doing their job right i, th- I mean i imagine most of the things they're doing you don't normally have to do because it's not like there's just quasars everywhere well i have to wait to the next part to make my comment about that same thing in a second so you gotta keep going okay <laughs> uh so yeah ferris says that he doesn't like to take chances and that there's a plague on new paris which is where they're going to deliver the medicine and Kirk's just like, oh, yeah, it's no problem. Like, you know, we're going to do this thing and then we're going to get out of here. Uh, so Kirk then calls the Galileo shuttle and tells them that they're clear for takeoff. And we get a shot in the hangar of this shuttle that just kind of does, you know, it, it's like a VTOL. It just kind of like levitates and spins around and or actually it spins around on the platform and then it like levitates and leaves. And uh, inside the Galileo, you've got Spock and six other crew members uh, prepping for launch. All right, Paul, uh, my turn. Okay, there we go. Here we go. Why are all of them on this ship? Okay. That was but, a question I was okay. going to pose a little okay. later, yeah. No, but but besides <laughs> besides the CGI, this happened that was terrible, by the way. Like, it's, I don't know, they, they, that, that was the worst CGI I've seen in a long time. For the awesome Quasar to go through that little ship, the Galileo ship appearing, every scene of that Galileo is trash. It's, it's terrible CGI. So, part two. Why are all of them on the ship? I don't get why they need all these people. It doesn't make sense to me. Like what, the docs there? Why? Like if they said okay for medical reasons, in case something goes, okay, I can understand that. But like each person on this ship, I don't know who they are. But you hear us with the main communication, communication chick. She's supposed to be on the ship. What's she doing over there? Like everybody there, I don't understand what they're supposed to be there for. I just I don't get it. It would, it would be nice if they actually told us, you know, what their specialty is. What you know, why are they there? Well, I just don't, it's a lot. I don't get it. It's a lot of people in there. Well, the thing that really confused me is like, what is their mission here? Because it seems like they're just studying this quasar. Like, why do you have to send a ship to it if you have this big ass ship with like, I guarantee you the Galileo does not have like the sensors and, and, you know, the computing power that the Enterprise does. Like, why they do they even need to get close to this thing? Mm -hmm. I guess is my question. Like, they're they're not meant to go to the planet. They didn't even know what's there. Then we find out the instruments don't even work to to study quasars in the first place. It's like. It's just it's just little small things. I'm like, I don't I just don't understand it personally. Like I'm just maybe I'm being overcritical, but I don't understand why they're all there. It just there's a lot of people on that ship for no reason. No, yeah, I have notes about that we'll that we'll get to. So yeah. all right. No, yeah, a very valid question though. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so yeah, they're prepping for launch and Spock then informs Kirk that they're ready to go, and Kirk gives them the command to launch. 
Um, which again, another thing I, I really am curious to see, because you mentioned, yeah, the CGI on that ship for being the remastered one is not great. And I imagine the original one was probably just a model. And I'm curious how that looked. I bet it looked better like, than I bet, this. I bet it wasn't even this. Yeah, but I bet like it wasn't even the same. I wonder if you even saw it take off. Oh, like they, like they added all that in, you think? Yeah. Or if it was like a weird stop motion thing or something. Like, I wonder, you know, what that was at that time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if they added that in, too. You're right. Yeah, so we get some some weird shots of the launch craft leaving, and and then we go uh, inside the Galileo, where uh, a female crewmate who is a, a yeoman uh, just just giving like status updates, and you know they've got seven crew members in there, which includes Spock and Scotty and McCoy and a bunch of people that we don't know. Um, so their instruments just start going crazy and like giving really bad readings, and and one of the crewmen who is Mister Latimer uh, says that the indicators are going crazy, and uh, one of the others, Mister Boma says that it's to be expected because the quasars are extremely disrupted, which again, like how how do don't, don't they know that by now? Because wouldn't the Enterprise's stuff be messed up? Well, if you knew that going in there, would you really risk flying a crew into some uh, potential danger situation? Right. Everything, apparently, yes. It's just the subtle details that they seem to forget in this episode that they've seen in every other episode. Like, it's just the yeah. real subtle things. I'm like, uh, this doesn't make any sense. This don't make sense. This don't make sense. And I'm just, I guess it's just me being me, you know, but like the, the real small things that don't make sense in this, this episode really get, got to me. Yeah. So yeah, at this point, the, uh, the female crew member, the yeoman, which they didn't give a name yet at this point, they actually don't until like way later. And I already forgot what it was. So I'll come across it in my notes. I don't want to like just keep calling her the female crew member, but she is like the only female crew member there. And again, I forgot her name starts with an M. Um, but she warns that the radiation is increasing and Spock orders them to stop their forward momentum. Uh, so Latimer reaches behind him to hit a switch and he's like, oh man, nothing happened. Like we, we can't stop, which is, that's a pretty shitty spot to put the brakes too. Like he had to make this awkward reach on a panel behind him. It's funny you said that because he said, oh, he's slow down and I spun around. I thought the same thing too. I thought that's kind of weird too. Why didn't it in front of him? Yeah. Why didn't the person behind him just hit it? Yeah. I don't, that don't make sense to me either. This small, small yeah. things. Really weird design there. Well, now we know why there's so many people on this small little ship, because they built the ship incorrectly. Yeah, it's absolutely awful. They're like, oh, hey, like, can we make a, you know, a turn to the right? And he's got to, like, reach under his seat and pull a lever or something. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Spock calls the Enterprise, but he can't get through because there's way too much interference. And then he continues to try to explain to the Enterprise, you know, that they're being pulled into a quasar just in case, you know, any part of his message gets through. And we go to the Enterprise and Uhura does pick up part of that. And she tells Kirk that she's getting pieces of a message from the Galileo that says that they're being pulled off course. And Kirk wants to get a fix on the ship. But Sulu says that the scanners are just reading blank and that there's a mass of readings that he's never seen before. Which, like, again, how did they not pick this up before they launched the ship? I feel like all of their scanners would have been malfunctioning before they even bothered to do this. Exactly. Well, they, oh. had, they had Admiral Douchebag distracting Kirk, so we can forgive yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't get I don't get it myself. Another small subtle detail. So Kirk then gets a reading from his computer and uh, Ferris is just kind of like looking on at him and he looks like oddly happy. He's, he's looking like, oh man, like sweet, they're dead. Like we can go now. Like he's yeah. just like, hell yeah, this is going to <laughs> shit and I love it. Yeah, he's kind of looking like he wants things to go wrong so he can hurry up and get, go, get what he needs to get done. So then uh, Kirk starts explaining to him that the Quasar has ionized and the entire sector and none of their uh, in- instruments work. Which I mean, I guess like, Okay, maybe their stuff wasn't malfunctioning the entire time. Maybe I kind of misread the situation and going back through my notes now, I understand, like, maybe it was something that just started happening. Like, it just started ionizing in the last few minutes. 
that's like really terrible timing, but I guess if it wasn't, we wouldn't have this episode. So then he says that uh, there are at least four complete solar systems in the vicinity, and uh, out there is a 24-foot shuttlecraft off course and out of control, and that it'd be like finding a needle in a haystack. and Or that, that finding a needle in a haystack would be child's play compared to that. And we get another shot of Ferris just like, just grinning. He's like, he's just digging it. He's like, yeah, this is all, this is all going to shit. I love it. Like, Fuck you, Kirk. So, yeah, we get the show opening and then we get a captain's log that just explains the sit- current situation, which are like my favorite ones because I don't have to really make notes for those. So, yeah, Ferris is uh, he's bitching still about not delivering the medicine while Kirk reminds him of his duty. And Ferris just talks about, you know, hey, you lost your crew. And Kirk says that he's got two days to find them. And uh, Ferris says that, you know, Kirk shouldn't have sent them out there in the first place, which I'm just kind of like, well, you know, it's too fucking late. So like, you yeah. just got to kind of deal with it. Right. Yeah, deal with it. No. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have done that. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty, dude. Shut up. Another thing about this, you guys, I don't think I noticed this. There was more females on the bridge than I've ever seen on the, in the episode, by the way, too. Yeah. They were, yep. a, they were a lot. He had the, the waitress chick come, waitress yeoman. They're all yeoman, because apparently women can only do one thing on this ship, but that's a whole other thing. I'm sorry. Paul, that's you know. a good thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other thing. But it <laughs> seems like there's a lot of women on this ship this time, and I was like, there's a lot of women in the ship. Because I always pay attention to stuff like that. McCoy and Spock are gone, so Kirk's like, hey, I can play. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know get, all, get all the yeoman up here. Yeah, it was like they had a, uh, in Spock's place, it was a female. And uh, Uhura's up still on this thing. Then they had the yeoman that was delivering his uh, coffee. Then another yeoman walked by. And then the yeoman was over there. I think like, there's a lot of women on this bridge right now. Which was interesting for the first yeah. time. It's just Yeoman Bridge Day, is all. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's just interesting the fact that like you know always the show and the time it is, and then you see the progression of the episodes that are just different than than normal. Yeah. So um, yeah, Uhura then tells Kirk that there's only one planet in the solar system capable of sustaining uh, human life, and that's uh, Taurus Two, and she says that it's just about dead center of the Murasaki effect, and then we get that uh, that music again that they just keep using every time anything bad happens or dun, if they dun, want to dun, show dun. Kirk's ass. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's always going to be like the Kirk's ass music to me after <laughs> after seeing it in that one episode. It's just, it always is. Oh, get out of here. So, uh, so yeah, so Kirk orders Sulu to set a course for the planet, and he does. Uh, meanwhile, the Galileo has crash-landed on a rocky planet, which would be Taurus 2. And McCoy starts checking the crew for injuries, and they all seem to be uh, pretty okay. Did you notice that the only one that wasn't hurt or looked phased with Spock? Like, oh, hey, we crashed. No well, yeah, because he's superhuman. Yeah, dude, like nothing destroys him. Does he, like, can he even be, like, injured or can he be, like, cut or does he bleed? Uh, I think he does bleed because doesn't he have green blood? Yeah, but but, well, yeah. Uh, but McCoy said that. Not that he didn't. We haven't seen that. Yeah, like they, they could have they, got that from a blood sample. They had a conversation about something. He's like, something about green blood, blah, blah, blah. They were mm. talking about something about humans or whatever. But we haven't seen his blood yet. So, yeah, so Boma then tries to explain how he thinks they crashed. And he says that uh, he thinks they gathered up speed as they were pulled towards the planet. And then the speed multiplied and shot them into the center of the Murasaki effect like a projectile. And at this point, immediately, I'm like, I like Boma. Like, I hope we get to see more of this guy. And that, that feeling only continued like as this whole episode went on. Like, he seems like a pretty... Solid dude. Like, he immediately has, you know, an, an idea of what happened. Like, he's already useful. Yeah, like, That's he's a scientist. He there. Well, well, I slowly started thinking about, as the episode went along, I thought, okay, they're here just in case this went wrong. 
They're here just case this went wrong. But at the beginning, it's like, yo, why are they all on the ship? Because right. there's a lot of people on the ship. Like, I, I thought maybe he was a science ex- like. I don't know if they explained it, I can't remember, but I thought maybe he was a scientific like expert or, or, or something like that. So they needed him. I just I wasn't sure I wasn't sure exactly what his job was. Yeah, I don't think they ever explained his position, but he's definitely not like a dumbass. Yeah. Like a dude the whole episode just kinda you know, he seems he like he's just he's smart. So. Yeah, he's really, really smart. And and I'm gonna get this out of the way now. The only person uh so far that I think had absolutely no business being there was the yeoman. And why do they keep doing that? Like they just keep <laughs> sending a yeoman along with these crews to do like to do nothing. They never get a phaser. Like they never do anything. No. Like, why do they ever send them? Uh, they need somebody to uh, uh, bring the coffee and to and to do the. Yeah. <laughs> and to do whatever. It's, <laughs> no, that's such a, it's the Janice thing and Miri all over again. Like why the fuck was Janice ever on that planet? And yeah. now you know, why is this chick here? Yeah, it's, they got to do federal, all the work. Federal ration law, like you have to have attractive woman with you every time you go somewhere. You know what? Has, yeah. there, has there been a human on every uh, everything so far? Like no matter what, I, want, uh, I think just about. I wonder if there's maybe a regulation thing where you gotta have whether well, the yeoman has to be part of the crew for whatever the yeoman duties are, which we don't know by the way. Let's, let's throw it out there right now. Right. We 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 are not sure what a yeoman's duty are because I haven't even reviewed it. I'm just going by what I've seen through the 15, 16 episodes ran. So obviously they bring the coffee. Obviously, they're there to comfort the uh, captain when things are going wrong. Um, obviously, they're there for the communications within again, but that but uh, you heard in the yeoman, so I don't know. Yeah, I thought I thought that they were just like kind of like an assistant to whoever's in charge, like the you know do recordings and basically log everything. Which like I get that that's important, but why can none of the other six people do that? Like, and there's at least two that we never figure out anything about them on this in this whole episode yeah like they could have done any of that yeah i don't i don't get it myself i'm, I'm not sure exactly what the job is and like i know it sounds bad that i'm like no women on the ship but it's more just like if they don't really have like if that particular person doesn't have a point to be there like why bring them like male or female like it doesn't matter to me just you know, like what the fuck were they doing like they were walking towards the ship and they're like wait a minute we got seven seats and six people like just go grab the next person you see and they're like that's what they do and then, and I wonder if yeoman can only be women. Like I don't know if that's a thing, but I haven't seen any uh, male yeoman yet. Or or the term right. or the term is the term yeoman a female term? Like I don't even know exactly what you know. What I'm saying so, I'm I'm curious about that. I never looked it up before. Maybe I'll have to. I'm just I'm, I'm just curious about what what a yeoman's job is and if it's able to be a male or not. The real that's, reason uh, there's a woman there is just to give the male audience something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it probably comes down to like I mean, ratings. Yeah. Uh yeah, from what I'm seeing, I literally just licked it, licked it up. Yes, I literally just looked it up, and uh, yeoman was an enlisted rate for women in the U.S. Naval Reserve during World War One. So I think, oh, they took that, it as in uh, okay, so they took it as in part of their thing for the show. Okay, yeah, like they they follow the whole you know ship thing on here. Just I don't know, like the oh the whole weird, okay, so so navy, so navy ship, all the all the navy terms are what they use because they're in ships. Spaceship, ship. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I get, I, I can relate to that. I get. It. See, after Boma explains uh, what he thinks is going on, Spock then agrees, which means he's probably correct. And Scotty's just kind of like, "Oh, you know, this is, this whole thing's a mess." And Spock is like, "Well, you know, pic- picturesque descriptions will not mend broken circuits." And he says that Scotty's got his work cut out for him. And I'm like, just like, damn, dude. Like already, Spock's kind of rubbing me the wrong way here. <laughs> like, 
first of he all, just, let, he was let, just like, man, what a mess. Our Star Trek fan. Oh, your boy Brandon over to here. Shine. Brandon over here has been, <laughs> been complaining about Spock should be the captain the whole time we were watching the show. <laughs> so as soon as I saw this episode, I thought, oh my gosh, Brandon's dream has come true. Spock is the captain. And this whole episode, I, have, I don't like Spock at all. So the irony is Spock is the captain is not what we need. Let's be real with that. Like he's making. I'm, I'm gonna save that. He, he's yeah, not the one we need. So let, let's just. So as, as people, as we go along, please pay attention to each decision Spock makes. Just, just think, just listen real close. Pay attention real close because it matters. I knew I wasn't getting out of this one unscathed. But in Spock's defense, he was really cool about. It. He's like, I don't fear it, nor do I desire it. Yeah, let's just. Right. Let's just every time Spock makes a questionable decision, I'll say, "Oh, look, it's Spock." That way, you guys get an idea, and I'll stop and I'll let you know what the decision he made and what, what's going on. I'm gonna let you guys know because this is out of hand. Let's keep it going. I can already see my my next bolded note here, so we're gonna get to that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Spock tries to call the Enterprise, and he's unsuccessful. And then he asks McCoy for an atmosphere reading, and McCoy does the reading and tells Spock that the air is breathable. If they're not running in any sort of competition and Spock's just like, hey, you know, I just want the facts. So McCoy just gives him some more readings and he jokes that he wouldn't recommend the place for a summer resort. And Spock is sarcastically is like, thanks. He's just like, hey, yeah, thanks for your opinion. And then this is my bolded note that says, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but fuck Spock. <laughs> he's just he's just being a dick. Dude, like, this is just two. This is just two this comments in. This is early. We, we the, show just, yeah. the show just started. He's already leaning toward the wrong way. Look, 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 look. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, but I'm gonna stick up for my boy Spock at the end of the episode. So, all right, let's get okay. We'll, we'll see. I, you know, okay. I'm not gonna get us off course again, but I am gonna say that, like, for a logical guy, Spock is getting real pissed off that humans are doing what they normally do, and that like McCoy is trying to break the tension through humor. And Spock should have known that that's the way that that was going to go, but instead he just kind of gets annoyed. Yeah, so yeah, yeah logically, for it's that like, particular instance, fuck Spock. Yeah, logically, he knows how they act. He knows how you've been through this stuff enough, and, and you know, and you know, Doc's personality too. Yep. So, uh, so Spock tells the yeoman to make sure she's recording everything, and then he tells Scotty to survey the damage while they go outside the craft, and he orders Latimer and. Uh, or Latimer and Gatano to get their phasers and scout out the area while keeping visual contact with the ship. And then everybody just gets their, their phasers and they, you know, move out and do what they're supposed to do. So McCoy and Spock discuss their odds of being found. And Spock doesn't think the enterprise crew are going to find them on that huge planet. Cause it's just way too much, you know, area for them to cover. And we go back to the enterprise where Uhura, Uhura and Sulu uh, they have no news for Kirk. They're just like, yep, yeah, sorry, you know, scanners and stuff aren't working. We really got nothing to tell you. So uh, Kirk then calls the transporter room, and they tell him that the transporters aren't functioning at 100%, and that they tried to bring, beam down some material, but that it came back in a disassociated condition, and they wouldn't try it with people, which is like, that's a shame, because that's exactly what I want to see. Like, I want to see just a crazy-ass transporter malfunction where everything comes back all fucked up. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that they were going to show us what a... Uh the cargo looked like when it came back. Right. And the one thing I noticed about Kurt this episode too is uh, his uh his uh his quiet panic. Like, yes. like like you can see that he's panicking with everything going on because things are getting frustrated he and he needs answers. But he never lets the crew see what's going on. He still puts on that hey, I'm going I know I'm going to figure it out and you kind of see his mind working and how he's getting stressed out about it, even when he's rubbing, he rubbing, rubbing his eyes or rubbing his head or he's like taking deep breaths, like these those subtle things that show that he's getting annoyed and frustrated by the way things are going. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a different bit of a different side for him. Yeah, 
Yeah, so then Kirk calls a flight deck and he orders them to prepare the Columbus shuttle to go down to the planet and search for the crew. But Ferris is just like giving him a hard time about the situation. And Kirk's like, look, you know, we're missing people and they're my friends and my shipmates. And he says he intends to continue to search for them until the very last possible moment. Which, what a good captain. Right, yeah, he's doing what he's supposed to do. So Ferris is like, yeah, you know, go ahead and search. But if you go, you know, you can't go one second beyond, you know, when you run out of time. And he's like, you need to look at book 19, section 433, paragraph 12. Like, first of all, what a fucking nerd. Like, he just has this thing memorized for in case he has to, to pull that out. Oh, no, he's so he's like, he's like one, one day I'm going to need, need this, this passage and I'm just going to memorize it. Yeah. So, but, but Kirk just cuts him off and he's like, yeah, I'm familiar with the regulations and I know all about your authority. And then Kirk just sits in his chair and orders the Columbus to launch, which um, I thought it was interesting here that Kirk referred to them first off as his friends. Like normally he's all about duty and, you know, this is my crew, this is my ship. But now he's just like, no, these are my friends. Like I'm not, you know, just going to leave them out here. Well, in fairness, he was only talking about uh, McCoy and Spock and maybe Scotty. Yeah, the, the rest <laughs> of them. Yeah. Maybe that is why he said friends and crew. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's just going to call them all his friends. Yeah, My friends out there and the rest <laughs> of them. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, my friends and those other guys. Yeah. So, yeah, we go back to the planet and Spock is working outside on the ship uh, when McCoy approaches him and uh, he tells Spock that, you know, this is your big chance. And he says he knows Spock has always thought that logic was the best basis on which to build command, even though he's uh, never said it. And this is where I'm like, yes, dude, the the writers knew what we wanted. Like this. This was it. Dan, you know, Captain Spock. I've been waiting. Yeah, I know. Uh huh. Yep. And so uh, Spock's just like, well, you know, I'm a logical man and I concede that logic is the best way to begin circumstances like this but he says that he neither enjoys the idea of command nor is he frightened of it that you know it just simply exists and he's going to do whatever logically needs to be done which yep. is a pretty spock way to to handle that spock and mccoy they they go back inside the galileo where scotty says that they've lost too much fuel and they were they're not going to have enough to reach escape velocity and you know they'd have to lighten their load by at least 500 pounds to reach orbit and Spock notes that that's about the weight of three grown men. All right, guys, <laughs> this is Spock here, a Spock moment. The first thing yeah. he says is that's equivalent to three people, not, oh, let's oh, let's equivalent to get rid of all the equipment. Oh, that, the first thing he thinks is get rid of three people. Are you kidding me? This is this is Brandon's idea of a great captain, Mr. Logic over here, okay? <laughs> this well, is Mr. They Logic. State, in fairness, though, they state they don't have much stuff to get rid of on the ship. I'm Yeah, but here's the thing. Your first decision is never to get rid of one of your teammates. That is the very last possible option. You go through 95, like for somebody so smart as Spock, you go through a thousand other things. Then you're like, oh yeah, I guess we can get rid of body. You don't start at getting rid of the body first. I, I bet like, Spock would have chose himself to be one of them to stay behind. It doesn't matter that he chose himself. That's not even the point. The point is the first thing out of his mouth was three bodies. Yeah. That's the first thing yeah, out of his not mouth. A good look. That, that well, look he good. Does, they're in a dire uh, position. He's not going to, you know, cookie cut it, you know. He's just going to give it to you uh, how uh, it is. Nah, nah. You don't say three bodies first. That's like you're somewhere and like, oh, yeah, let, let's go ahead and throw three kids off the boat and then we'll, <laughs> and then we'll be good to go. <laughs> like, that's the equivalent. Yeah, of, I mean, you're like, like. You're on a boat with a bunch of people. Oh, we're too big. Let's throw the kids off first. Whoa, whoa. You start with the adults and then you go to the kids. You go to. That's the worst case scenario. You don't start there. Like, I just don't. He, the first thing out of his mouth was get rid of three bodies. I find that not very captain-like. And and well, he and, said yeah. he would come and that, back for him. 
It didn't. That they could have been dead. That's not the point. This point is Kurt would never even go there. That's that's kind well, of the thing with him and Kurt. Like, under like Kurt, Kurt three people would have died under his watch. Yeah, but the yeah, but the thing is, <laughs> yeah, but, that, but Kurt would have thought about everything else and then put somebody, and then Kurt would have stayed, stepped out of himself. Logically, they're like, you know what? It'll be me and a bunch of other people. He'd got there eventually. You don't start out three bodies, man. I just we can keep we can keep talking because there's more Spock moments in here. But that's the one that three yeah. bodies immediately mm, suspects sir. Yeah, this is where uh, McCoy argues against that, obviously, and he says that they could use that equivalent late, uh, equivalent weight in equipment. And Spock says that they use virtually every piece of equipment to attain orbit, so there's very little excess weight except in passengers. And, and yeah, this is where I was like, man, this is everything I wanted from Spock, but it just, that does not feel it right. Doesn't, yeah, it didn't come out right. My, I guess my argument is that, like, they've been cra- like they crashed, like, 15 minutes ago, and he's already, like, start dumping souls. Just like, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> like, he didn't, they didn't even try anything else at this point. You didn't try but I guess get, that's get rid of seats, that's get why rid you of bring knobs. people that you don't care about. Oh yeah, yeah. Trees, That's why they brought the knobs, other people so uh, he could dump them. Pull out the carpet. Uh, start taking out panels inside the ship to cut, cut weight. Um, I don't yeah. even. I, I just. I'm still going and still going. I come up with more ways to get some weight out of here. You know, they get back. To the, get, they get back to the Enterprise, and Kirk's like, "Why do you get rid of the coworkers? Why do you get rid of my friends?" Yeah, <laughs> it's just. I don't know. It was just a little weird to me. Yeah. So yeah, Boma then is like, you know, hey. You know, who's going to choose the three that have to stay behind? And Spock says that, you know, as a commanding officer, the choice is going to be his. Oh. Uh, so Boma then asks, like, hey, you know, we could draw lots. But Spock says that it's a that's a pretty quaint suggestion and that he's better qualified to make the decision than any random lot drawing. So Boma's just like, OK, like, who's going to stay then? And Spock says that his choice is going to be logical. And, you know, it's going to be a logical one arrived through logical means. So he's not ready to uh, make that decision yet. But. If you guys had to choose, uh, like we'll start with Dan. Dan, who like what three people would you leave behind at this instance? Uh, also, like I guess it's not like a, a great question to ask right now because we don't know anything about them. But considering what we do know about them, who would you leave behind? I mean, I, I'd I'd take the I'd say who I take. I take the people that are the normal crew members that we all know and love. Oh, unfortunately, not nah, working for me. First of all, uh. At this moment, Spock can go. Okay, let's be real. I was here. gonna say you'd, you'd like, clone Spock twice and leave it. all three of them behind. Yeah, yeah, now that I'm annoyed with Spock this episode, like the thing is, like, like okay, I take Doctor McCoy because I need a doctor. Just in case things go wrong, I can replace Spock with uh, Mister Smart uh, Indian guy who seems to know all the map stuff. So I replace Spock with somebody who's logical and rational. Like, oh, somebody's a little bit above, not just ridiculous. Uh, the yeoman can stay. Everybody else can go. I can replace all of them. But yeah. It's just I, I thought like four or five people, honestly. Let's be real here. <laughs> just, just get rid of all of them and increase your chances to get out. I, I'm just getting rid of more, as much weight as I can. Like, hey, you get off, Chip. Yeah, but, like, like, look, you know, there's uh there's all you guys. There's the one lady. You can repopulate the planet. Yeah, we, I'm off here. Or rock paper scissors. You know, I like those dudes lot idea. A rock paper scissors. Like that seems fair. Like, right. keep it up to Lady Luck and or flip a coin. I don't know, whatever it is. Like, I just don't like yeah. uh, Spock's... I, when Spock says, oh, like, I can make a better decision than that. Well, of course you do, can, bro, but that's not fair. Well, give them the option. And uh, if I get to stay behind with the human, like, hey, come back for us. We'll find some time to kill. We'll find a way to kill some time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure something we'll out. We'll figure something out. Oh, we'll come back for you. I'm oh, sure. I personally, I'd leave uh, Latimer, Gatano, and uh, the Yeoman just because I like 
everybody else. Everybody, yeah. See, yeah, we like Spock. We thought Spock was gonna be a great captain too. We liked him too until we found out he's he, he's a shit yeah. captain. <laughs> he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so this is where McCoy chimes in. He he's like, hey, you know, life and death are seldom logical, and Spock says that attaining a desired goal is always logical. And he suggests that they go outside to examine the hull for minor damage and that they may have overlooked some of it. And then he goes outside, but nobody follows him because uh, Boma stays behind and talks to McCoy. And he's like, yeah, the only minor damage they overlooked is when they put Spock's head together. <laughs> and McCoy's like, no, it's not his head. It's his heart. But like, that's, that's a pretty yeah. good uh, pretty, pretty good line from Boma. Yeah. yeah. A very good analogy of Spock. Yeah. So at this point, uh, Latimer and Gatano, they're out, you know, checking out the area and they're crawling around on some rocks and they hear like a weird scraping sound in the distance was just a fucking creepy sound. Like, dude, I'm, I'm just, I'm going back at that point. Yeah. I don't, I don't even want to imagine like what that is. Nope. Not at all. So they, they can't agree where the sounds are coming from and uh, they just decide, yeah, we are going to go like, we're out of here. So they climb around a little bit and then suddenly like this huge hairy, like furry guy Bigfoot. throws a, a, just a, yeah. Bigfoot pops up and he throws a giant stone spear into Latimer's spine and he just like screams and falls off the rocks Dude, that, that so spear, we have uh, 42 that, dead that spear was freaking huge oh massive yeah I, th- I thought it was a giant or something I was like oh my god is the planet full of giants or trolls or yeah, something? well it is I think they later on they say that they're like 10 to 12 feet tall yeah, yeah that spear itself had to have been like 6 feet tall and just like right in the spine too and he's just he's dead so we're at 42 dead now Oh yeah, and, uh, he go. actually he screams so loud that the people of the Galileo hear him, and then Boma and Spock run towards that direction. And uh, when they get there, Gatamo is firing his phaser, and you can hear like you know growling and roaring. And we go to a commercial from there. That's so we a, come back. His that was very weird, by the way. I don't know him just aiming random places and shooting the damn laser. I thought kind of weird because we didn't hear any uh, pain sounds of him hitting people. Right, you know, so I, I, yeah, I it was kind of weird. It was shooting at. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, it was just he was just shooting randomly. Like, okay, we need to shoot around random. Okay, and it really looked like he was shooting around random. Like, it didn't look like it was like a movie or like a CGI scene. It was just it, it didn't look good at all. It was weird. Yeah, so this is the part where uh, Spock and Boma arrive at Gatamo, and he says that you know whatever it was, it was a huge and terrible thing, and he thinks he might have hit one with his phaser, and so Spock goes to investigate, and uh, Gatamo was like, yeah, man, it was like a giant ape. So Boma then expresses like some sympathy for Latimer and Gatano says, he's like, you know, Hey, at least it was, you know, he went quick, which is always nice, which I don't, I mean, like, did he go quick though? Like he just got hit in the spine and fell off a rock. Like, unless he was really, really high up. I can't imagine uh, we, that. He gone. He gone that quick, I guess. That's considered quick yeah. for him. <laughs> Maybe he like went down there and executed him while we were at the commercial. He's like, no, he went quick. Like got hit in the, the back with the spear and Spock's like, well, there are phaser burns on his forehead. And he's just like, no, there, no, there's not. It's definitely the spear. So yeah, Spock comes back and he says that he couldn't find anything. And Gatano acts like Spock doesn't believe him. He's like, oh yeah, you know, there was, there was definitely something there. And Spock's like, yeah, dude, I know. Uh, like there's a spear right there in that guy right yeah that's what my note says there's a big fucking spear in the dude's spine right in front of him <laughs> he didn't do that he's just like himself, why don't you believe he? me Spock's like I fucking believe you dude <laughs> like you don't have to you, you don't have to ask belief I believe you like there's no yeah it's the fact that he even had to say do you you, you believe me like of course I believe yeah. you man like yeah it's like there's a tree growing out of this guy's <laughs> spine like, <laughs> like what the fuck do you think like, Yo, then he picked this damn thing up and it is huge bro 
Yeah, it's it, a, it, absolutely it, massive. It, it is massive. And it's, and it's covered in blood. So I'm like, yo, this thing is big. I was like, these, these yeah. dudes got to be uh, giant, like giant trolls or something. Like, this is insane. The blood actually surprised me for, uh, you know, the time period. I, yeah. I wouldn't have thought that they would let that thing be covered in blood. But, I mean, hey, look at them go. I thought it was kind of, I thought it was really cool, too, that uh, it was almost the first time we've seen uh, a superhuman style human, like a big giant type creature. You know, like, I, yeah. like, I thought, oh, this is cool. So they're like expanding their aliens or whatever, even though it's still very humanoid. So they're not like not human looking, which is something that we talk about. But it was still like the cuspic of it being like a huge creature was something we haven't seen for a while. So right. that was cool. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so yeah, then Spock pulls the spear from Latimer's back and he remarks, he's like, hey, this is a Folsom point. And it was discovered in 1925 in New Mexico, America. <laughs> and, uh, so he just like he says the shaft is he's like that's a bit more crude but it, you know it's not very efficient and Boma just gets pissed and he's just like hey you know you're over here making comments about the spear being inefficient and you know we got a dead guy right here and Spock's like well am, am I wrong or like am I in error and Boma's like well you know it's impossible just you know what I always say Spock's always right but Boma's like yeah there's a dude laying here dead and you're over here talking about stone spears he's like what do you want me to do about it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, you know, my concern for the dead isn't going to bring him back to life, which is that's not the first time he said something like that. So yeah. at least he's, you know, consistent. But uh Gatano's like, well, you know, hey, we need to bring Latimer back up to the ship. And Spock is like, okay, yeah, we, that's fine, but I'll I'll help you out. And they're like, nah, it's all right, we got it. So Boma or yeah, Boma and Gatano move Latimer back up to the ship so they can give him a proper burial. And I want to clarify before we go to this is another Spock moment too. The whole the whole part is just full of Spock moments that are ridiculous in itself. Like I get see the idea. Here's one of the things it comes up with bigger when you get in the future, or whatever is the idea of a soldier not having feelings to be able to soldier on. You know, like you see something like that, you put, you pack it away, you keep moving on. I get it, but you're supposed to take a moment, a moment to reflect on that death, and then move on. You know, Spock doesn't take the moment to to reflect that death. He just moves on. So people, so everybody else is like, "Well, dude, there's a dead body here." Like you have. Well, he doesn't have that human emotion. To... Yeah, he don't. He don't have. He don't have that. Which is like, but it should it should make him a better captain. But for some reason, it's making him a shitty captain. Like it, it's weird. You think you think you, in a world where somebody who surgery on with emotion would be better at his job. Unfortunately, everything about everything about Spock is showing you that he's a shit. He's a shit captain. Excuse my language, people, but he really is. He's a terrible captain, and it's just because his emotion. It's just I just thought I thought he'd be better. I don't know why. Like Brandon brought it up, and I was like, "Oh, maybe he'll be right. Maybe he'll be better." But every decision he's made so far, I I dislike him more and more in this episode. Like as it goes along, I I hate, I hate him more and more as a captain. I just, At least weird. he's not like, uh, "Hey, not only two of you have to stay behind." <laughs> now, he just throws that, that out if there. he would have said that that would have been the ultimate Spock moment like okay we only need to get rid of two other bodies now oh my gosh oh. he's like one down two to go <laughs> oh my god why did, go. why did they say that oh my god why did they say that oh my god I probably would have threw some at the TV then <laughs> I, I guess like my big issue is and I don't want to dwell on this right. too long it's like you know Spock's all about logic and that makes him you know seem very cold but at the same time, he spent enough time around humans that he should be able to predict, you know, logically that they're going to be upset that their friend is dead. So then he should know that logic would dictate that he needs to act in a different manner, mm. you know, provide some sort of sympathy, even it's even if it's, 
you know, Not fake real. Yeah. because because if he doesn't, logically, they're going to get pissed at him. Like you would think that all of that logic would lead him to go, yeah, you know, I, you know, hey, I know that my, you know, worrying about this isn't going to bring the guy back, but you know, I'm sorry that this happened, and I understand that you're upset. Like that would put this on an entirely different course, and I would think that logic would have brought him there. Yeah, it's like actually, this, you know, it's super a very logical fair guy. Point. Well, I'm curious. I'm curious of the Vulcans' uh, death funeral things now. I'm curious. Yeah, they, they they don't do anything. They just throw them in a fucking hole. They're yeah, like done with I'm, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious about what they do do when somebody dies. I'm curious. I just I don't know. So like now I want to know uh, the Vulcans' death ceremony. Like, do, do they even honor it? Do they just throw them in a ditch? Do they send them into the void or send them into a star? I don't know what they do. Now I'm curious about that. When I see how he reacts to somebody's death. I'm I'm curious to see how that is. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So, uh, yeah, so we get a captain's log explaining, you know, just the search efforts and Kirk talking about how, you know, he has feelings of futility and loss. And uh, Uhura is then informing Captain Kirk about the Columbus's return from their search with negative results. And he asks for status updates, uh, but everything's still inoperable, so they, they can't use their scanners or anything. And here's Ferris again, doing like the only thing that he can do, which is remind Kirk that he's running out of time. Being a bitch. Yeah, like that's all he does on this whole thing is just like, you're running out of time, running out of time. Like, okay, he fucking gets it. You know, Spock's being a dick, but dude, this dude's just being a straight up asshole. Yeah, I really don't like his inclusion in this episode. Like, this guy is probably the most unlikable character that they've introduced so far. Well, I don't understand why he's on on the, the bridge, though. Like, he just standing, sitting there on the bridge. Like, I don't get why he's sitting there. Like he's sitting there in the in the most obnoxious way, he's sitting there chill, like arm crossed, sitting there, sitting down, chilling. It's like, oh, you, you're supposed to be annoying the whole episode, but why are you here though? You're not you're not a member of the bridge. You can't make any decisions. Like, go take your ass to the high high council room and go take a nap. Right. Well, instead like of bitching about them, or something. Uh, looking for the crew members, why didn't he try to help so that you know they can get out of there faster? Hey, he's not Spock. He's not that logical. All right. <laughs> But he's just like he can't make that much sense. But he's just basically like, "Hey, we gotta leave. Fuck him, you know. I, I gotta, we gotta wait five days before uh, we drop this medicine off." Yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. But uh, so at this point, you know, Kirk calls the transporter room to suggest ways to get the transporters working, and then he orders the Columbus to search in a wider area. And Sulu questions that decision. He's like, well, you know, they're gonna have more area to cover per loop. That's gonna take longer. And Kirk is just like, "Hey, mind the helm." It's just like, shut up. Don't don't question me. And uh, Ferris goes to the elevator to leave the bridge and he stops and he tells Kirk, hey, you got 24 more hours. Like, that's his entire point. That's I really don't like the character because the only reason that he exists is to apply pressure to Kirk. And it's I, I feel like it's really not necessary. Like, I feel like the creature thing on the planet is the time constraint enough. Like, yeah. you have to leave before they die. Yeah. I don't I don't think that doubling up on that to have this guy constantly reminding Kirk that they have to leave is like, I, don't, I just don't see it as necessary. I'm, episode, I'm glad you but. said that because I was thinking the same thing. I thought I was just being me. I think his, his character in this whole episode is irrelevant. Like, like yeah. with, with everything going on, we didn't need him. Like, right. I, like, yeah, I, I like, like the whole idea that he needs to get it done in five days. We don't need him to remind us of that every time. Or Kirk could have been like, oh, we got 24 hours, guys. We got to get, we got to get together. We got 24 hours left. Let's figure things out. Like Kirk could have said that in one line. Without him him saying it, like every line right. that he says, Kirk could have said in a better way, and we would need that character. So like, I just I don't I don't get the I don't get the writing for that. I don't get the character for that. I I get the idea of it. It's just not very it's not done very well. Yeah, and like they could have even been like, hey, you know, 
we we need to go deliver this medicine, but you know, I want to look for my crew, but you know, statistically if this much time elapses, then yeah. there's a very high chance that they're not alive anymore. And then, and just like leave it at that. And then, yep. you know, once that time passes then it's time to go. Yep. Have a timer with that time. You can have that timer on screen. You got a timer with a reminder. Do you go, Oh, we got this much time left. We got to figure things out. Like there's a better way of doing it than what they did. I agree. Yeah. Or like, you know, Starfleet regulations say you have to abandon a search after this much time, yep. but whatever we got Ferris instead. Uh, so back on the Galileo they're trying to fix the ship as McCoy and the Yeoman are getting rid of some heavy gear and they think they can probably get rid of another 100 pounds and Spock says that that's still going to leave them 150 pounds overweight and McCoy argues you know again about leaving somebody behind Uh, Spock says that it's more rational to sacrifice one life than six so Bones is like well you know you're you're not talking about rationality and Spock says that you know it might be wise to start and at this point now I'm thinking because they have like the monster attacks, they know they're all fucked. Is that the right move to leave somebody behind? Like, what if they get a volunteer? What if somebody's like, I'll, you know, I'll do it. I'll go outside the ship and, you know, you can just leave me here. Like, would that make it okay? Or can you, like, is it right to force somebody to hide behind to, to save everybody else? I would say at the this force? point, no, because in the beginning, you're like, all right, this planet might not have no life on it. So you should be good. But now you know there's a threat on the planet. And that's just, that'd be really bad to leave someone behind at that point. Yeah, my issue is the term force itself. Like, forcing somebody to stay behind is never going to be right for me. I can't even, I can't even go there. If we're going, if we're going to force because you have to, if everybody's going to die, then we're going to have an, an, an uneven game. We're going to have a game where we figure things out. Some kind of challenge. Drawing test, straws would be a better idea. Drawing straws, something like that, yeah. But I'm not going to, agree. as captain, I'm not going to be you know, you're saying because you're not important enough to be on here in the first place. We shouldn't have brought you in the first place, whatever it is. You know, I just don't like the idea of somebody being forced to do it. If we get a volunteer, hey, better off to you, brother. But if forced, no. Yeah, uh, yeah, if somebody has to get forced, it should be like a draw straws thing. Like, if you think about a very similar scene in like the movie Armageddon. Armageddon somebody bro. had to stay it's behind. Like, yeah, to it's do funny you said that. I was going to say Armageddon myself. And it was fine then. Yeah. yeah. Like it was fine then, but that's because it was, you know, the, the 100% even. by chance. Yep. Yeah. And then the dude still chose to sacrifice himself afterwards. You yep. know? So, he, yep. Spoiler alert for a movie that came out in the 90s, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I don't care what people would say. I fucking love that movie. Oh, I, don't that, care. It I watched that movie yesterday, no, actually. It never stops. That movie's terribly awesome. It never like, stops. Like, I, 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 think it's, it. I think it's a great movie. I hate that movie, but I, every time I saw it, I watch it. So it's one of the movies where I, I watch it, I'm like, oh, okay. then I, I get upset again. So no, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I don't take it seriously. Like, it's just total bullshit, like, action and, you know, quotable lines and all this stuff. And like, but like yeah. once it starts going, it just never fucking stops. And yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I enjoy it. It's just, I think it's a great movie. Yep, I agree. So yeah, so Boma enters the, the room and he says that they're ready to have their services for Latimer. And Spock says that, you know, hey, we can't do that. We're working against time here. And Boma says that Latimer deserves a decent burial. And Spock, as a captain, should say a few words. And Spock's like, well, you know, McCoy might, might know a few, you know, he might know the correct words for the occasion. And McCoy says that, you know, hey, that's not my place. That's yours. So Spock says, well, you know, my place is here on the vessel. So McCoy gets pissed, which he's been like super uh, patient through this, I think, because probably just because he knows Spock and he's given him time to work his way through it. And at this point, he's like, no, fuck that. Uh, You know, we might all die here. And, you know, we want to die like men and not like machines. And Spock's like, well, you know, first things first, uh, I have to try to increase our odds of survival. 
you know, just of just staying alive. And that's where they end that scene. See, this it's, it, it, it gets so weird. It's like, here's the thing. Everything Spock's saying is right, but how can he be so right and so wrong at the same time? It's one of those things in life. It's the way he's he saying off, everything right. He says it. Like, he's saying everything right, but it's like it's it's wrong. It's it's just one of those things where sometimes doing the logical thing is the wrong thing to do. Like, he's it's, coming it's off weird. cold. Like, like I'm, I, I I enjoyed this episode for that particular reason because it, it really has you think about lo- uh, logical and illogical and why you do things and what's what the right or wrong of the whole episode back and forth. That's why I, that's why I like the episode a lot. It's just it's just interesting. Yeah, I think that like in this particular instance. Like, fuck the funeral. Like, you're all going to die if you waste any time. And I know that it sucks. And, like, you want that person to have, you know, a proper burial and all that. But mm. at the end of the day, like, does that matter at all? I, if, I, if, well, see, but that's it matters to Bones because Bones like, if we all die here, I want to know my moments were done with the dignity and respect. I'm going to die as I want to, like, die. I'm not going to do all the logical stuff and then, to, and then, and then not understand, and not, like, put my humanity away. Like, I think, right, that's but I mean, like, in this particular instance, and also, like, at this point in time, how the fuck are they still even doing, like, proper burial funeral shit? Like, that's that's weird ass shit now. But, like, as far <laughs> in the future, like, I don't know. I just, I feel like for this particular instance, mm-hmm. I think Spock is right. Like, you know, fuck that. You, you got to get out of here or you're all going to be dead. Like, what good is the proper funeral when you're all dead? Who's going to give you your proper burial? Yeah, you it's, know? yeah, it's one of those things. It's one of those things where we don't know, like, it, it kind of, but who do you agree with? Maybe they can put it on Twitter. Be like, who you know, who do you agree with in that situation? Maybe a question people can ask. Cause like, I don't. It's just, would you rather do a Spock away, do everything logical, or keep your humanity and do the, the small little things to keep us human? Right. I would say if there's a danger outside that when you're trying to bury someone, maybe not a good idea. If there wasn't someone out there trying to kill you, I couldn't argue against like, hey, you know, let's pay our proper respects. If, you know, we we can make time yeah. for it. Yeah. Right. They're kind of both right. They're kind of both right in that way. But yeah, no, I, I get both sides of it, but yeah. Um, so yeah, later on, uh, Scotty and Spock are trying to fix the ship and uh, they have like a line burst and they leak out all their remaining fuel, which is, is like the one thing you probably don't want to have happen. So Spock's like, hey, you know, I need you to consider the alternatives here. And Scotty argues that they have no fuel and they have no alternatives. And Spock says that there are always alternatives, which is weird for him to say now, considering, you know, as soon as they crash landed, he's ready to just chuck everybody out so that, you know, chuck three people out. Yeah, now he wants to consider any alternatives. alternatives. Yeah. Yeah, now he wants to do alternatives. Yeah, so McCoy comes in and he's like, hey, something's going on outside. And then they hear like that scratching sound when they go outside. And McCoy wants to know what Spock's uh, super sensitive ears hear. And uh, do you think he has better hearing than Legolas? You know what? Actually, we probably shouldn't even get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious. To, has, has super hearing been something that been on all episodes? Is the first time we ever like like emphasized it? I think this is the first time. Yeah, I, I'm not sure when he said it. I thought, oh yeah, super hearing. Like I, I know he's super strong. I've done it for a while, you know. But super, the super uh, hearing. I don't know if that was even a thing before this moment. Yeah, it's just I don't know. For some reason, when he said that, it just reminded me of the Lord of the Rings movies where. Uh, Aragorn or Aragorn, sorry. Mm. Uh, he when they're like they're running through, you know, the field or whatever. I don't even remember exactly what it was. Like they were being getting ready to be attacked by something, and he's like, "Legolas, what do your elf eyes see? Like, why, why, why did you have to say elf eyes? Why couldn't you just said like, <laughs> hey, dude, what do you see out there?' The eyes, yeah, <laughs> you specify the elf. 
Yeah, like Spock, what are your Vulcan ears here? Yeah. <laughs> just I mean, like it's cool to know that he has like super sensitive hearing, but it's just it's so weirdly put. Yeah. Well, in Lord of the Rings anyway. But uh yeah, so Spock says that he hears some wood rubbing on some kind of leather. And then at this point I was like, why the fuck did they bring the unarmed yeoman outside? Like everybody ran out there with phasers and then they bring her for absolutely no yeah, reason. I didn't she has no phaser. She, well, she she does nothing. She would have been safer in the ship. Why did she leave? Actually, yeah, she, like what is she, she, had she had a phaser. She had a phaser. No, I swear to God, she had a phaser. You're what? You're watching it right now. Yeah, right? I'm watching it as we. I played. Uh, yeah, play as we. No, yeah, Paul's right because she scene? ends up giving her a phaser over to Spock later on. I believe. I don't think she had one to give because I tried to keep track of that, and I don't think she was ever given one. I don't remember her ever carrying okay, one. Okay, yeah, I'm watching it as we uh, watch it, whatever. And when she gets behind the rock and they're hiding out, you can't see it, but then she gets up and she has a phaser in her right in her, in her hand. She has a face yeah. and, and a purse. Yeah, I swear she has a face and a purse. A purse? Yes. <laughs> a fucking purse okay. out there. Dude, she, has a, she has a purse over her shoulder. I mean, it looks like a, it looks like a communicator, but more like, like a purse to me. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Maybe she, it's the tricorder. Yes, it's you remember that thing had like a strap on it? Yeah, it looks like, it looks like a purse when she's wearing it, though. It looks like a purse and a gun. All right. I'll say she did. I don't believe it, okay. but I'll, well, we're I'll gonna, say. We're, we're going to be screenshotting that as the thing so you can know that she has a... Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost positive she hands over her phaser to Spock later in the episode. Yeah, I'm positive I'm leaving both of your asses on the planet now for disagreeing with me on this. <laughs> yeah, she, I, she may have. Maybe I missed it. I'm not going to say I'm right. I may have missed it. You know, I, I wrote a timestamp time so I can tell you. That way you can look. Oh, God, we're going that far. Okay, I'll look. No, I'll, I'll look. Seriously, I'll look. So, yeah, so they get out there, and Boma thinks that the creatures are doing some sort of tribal ritual, and Spock thinks that the artifacts are that they've recovered are too primitive for them to be a tribe, but they're more likely a loose association of some sort. <laughs> it's like just a really stupid, you know, pedantic thing to argue about. But uh, Boma, Boma's like, hey, maybe we can use their sense of unity against them by attacking them and, and just scaring them. And Gatano agrees, like he's all about action. And Spock says that he is frequently appalled by how low regard the Earthmen have for life. And I'm like, that's the same dude that was willing to just leave three people behind to <laughs> yeah. die on a planet. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, eh, Spock moment for you. Just, eh, yeah. Little what, what I really liked about this, though, was after he said that, they do a really quick, really short shot of McCoy where he looks at Spock like this motherfucker. <laughs> like he instantly recognized the hypocrisy and he didn't say anything about it. <laughs> I didn't see that. So Spock agrees that. Oh wait, no, I skipped a little bit here. Uh, so Gatamo said, or Gatano says that they're, you know, we're being practical about it, and he suggests that you know they need to go hit the creatures first. And Spock wants to know what Boma thinks, and obviously Boma agrees. He's been you know anti Spock the entire time. So Spock then turns to McCoy, and he's like, "Yeah, seems logical to me. Like fucking got him. Had to use the logic thing against him. <laughs> like, he was real sharp about it too. Like he was yep. sarcastic as shit." So Spock's like, okay, yeah, uh, but you know, I'm pre- I'm pretty conflicted about taking life indiscriminately. Like, okay, okay, guy, life indiscriminately. Just everything about Spock's episode annoys me, man. I just, it's it's such yeah, he's a con- been a big hypocrite, contradictory the way he does things. Just value, he seems to value their life above his crew's life. That doesn't make sense, you know. Like he seems to the uh, but the creature's life more than his own crew. That don't seem right to me. Like it just. Well, I think he's looking at um, part of it is like their orders from Starfleet are basically that, you know, they're there to meet people and to study things like they're not there to go start wiping people out. I think is his issue here. 
Like True, that's their, their entire mission statement. When you get a six foot spear thrown through one of your men, uh, yeah, yeah, it's one of those weird things that seems to be like, hey, no matter what happens, you know, don't you know, like fuck everything up, like you know, be safe and all that, but don't go looking for trouble or yeah. like don't retaliate if you don't have to, kind of thing. Yeah, because people got to remember that the, their mission is to explore. They, they basically explore for science, not to start fights and wars. Yeah, it's a super like non-crew friendly uh, mission statement that they have. Yeah, yeah. So Gatano's like, "Hey, it's a majority rule, like we all agree." And Spock then starts actually to get a little bit angry. He shows a little bit of uh, emotion there, and he's, he's like, "I'm not interested in the opinion of the majority." And uh, he says he has to weigh the dangers to themselves as well as their duty to other life forms, friendly or not. So yeah, he, just a little bit of emotion, and McCoy kind of gives him another look, like, "Ooh, Spock getting mad. Like, is that a new one for you?" He is human, or part. He's half, yeah, he's half human. So uh, Spock then suggests a third option, and before he even says anything, Gatano's like, nope, nope, that's stupid, we're not going to do that, because he knows <laughs> what Spock wants to do. And Spock then orders McCoy and Yeoman Mears, that's what it was. Uh, he orders them both to stay with the ship, and tells Boma and Gatano to follow his orders to the letter, uh, firing only when he says so, and what he says to fire at. And that, you know, they're going to fire to frighten and not to kill. And what I thought was interesting about this scene was that, like, really, really good scene. Uh, like, Nimoy was is on point here. Like, everything is just, you know, he's he's got Spock, like, just on the, the verge of, like, showing anger, but not quite there. And But Nimoy, fli- he, he slips up a little bit because he forgot uh, Scotty's name when he told uh, McCoy and Yeoman Mears to go back to the ship with Scotty. He's like, oh, yeah, uh... McCoy and Yeoman Mears go back to the ship with uh, Scotty. Like, it's super quick. And I don't know if, like, it was an intentional thing or not, but I was like, I was also curious to know, like, why they used that specific take where he slipped up because that's not, like, a, a Spock-like thing, you know? Yeah, like, yeah maybe I didn't it was notice just that. Just a stupid weird rant, but... Maybe it was good to show his frustration in the situation. Like, for a minute, he lost his mind, like, lost, lost his thoughts. Yeah, it was like a stupid long rant there for me, but I just thought it was interesting yeah. that he he threw an uh in there and like Nimoy has not messed up any dialogue. Well, nothing that they've kept. Obviously, they don't do everything in one shot and then just like that's the one. But for some reason, they decided to to keep this one. Probably because they wanted to show how fr- getting frust- how frustrated he was. So it happened to mess with his, uh, his uh, talking for a second, you know. Yeah, if you get the chance, like go back and and watch that one, like that oh, scene oh, well. for a second, because it's it's really weird. It's, I just thought it was really weird, like when he first, you know, he was going through it, and I was like, oh, that's that's really weird for Nimoy. But uh, yeah, so Gatano argues and points out that what happened to Latimer, or he points out what happened to Latimer, and Spock's like, hey, you know, if anything happens, you know, the orders and the responsibility are going to be on me, which is you know easy to say when you're not the one that's could be dying. Uh, but they follow him towards all the sounds that they hear. And uh, that actually, I made it know that that might be my favorite scene of the series so far is like almost pissed off Spock, you know, just like ranting on these guys and then just like giving orders. I don't know. Something about the way that it was acted out. I really enjoyed. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed this episode a lot, too. But uh, yeah, so they make their way through some like fog and some rocks and they start to come under attack, uh, having just like the big ass spears are getting thrown at them, which I don't know where they're getting the. The lumber or like the wood to make these spears That's, on this rock planet. Like, I was wondering that also earlier. Like maybe they just went to like a different biome. You know, they they just crossed that line where the trees loaded up. And I was gonna say it seems like they like to shoot in a lot of desert areas. Yeah, everything's been rocky and desert. But that doesn't mean there's not trees. You know, 
elsewhere. Well, if you think about it on Earth, you know, 10 miles from one area, it could be all woods. You know, the way, what, right. way we're designed. So maybe this is the mountain area, and maybe 20 miles away is where the wooden area is, and that's where they get the lumber for the wood. I didn't, I didn't think that deep about it, because I just kind of assumed it was there on a planet that was, all, that was mountainy, and somewhere else on the planet there was trees somewhere. I just kind of assumed that. Yeah, I mean, that's likely how it is. I just thought it was weird. But also, we we saw from the, the last episode, Shore Leave, that when they do try to shoot on, like, a forested location, it just comes out looking like Ohio. So maybe that's why. Like, nothing about that looked alien at all. Well, I will say, at least they're using the whole tree to kill people. Yeah, <laughs> just rip whole trees out and strap a stone to it and throw it. But, uh, yeah, so they get stuff thrown at him, and Spock fires back with his phaser, and he hits the shield of one of them, and then the creature just, like, chucks the shield at him. It's, it's like, a huge shield. Which was weird, because if something was shooting at you, what, do you want to keep the shield? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, nah, fuck this. It just, like, chucks the whole thing at him. The shield was, like, as big as they were, too, which is absolutely crazy. Like, really good props for this episode. So, yeah, so Boma comments that he can't see the creature through the mist, and Spock says that yeah, he can hear that they're directly in front of their position, and he directs Boma and Gatamo to aim their phasers at two o'clock and ten o'clock. And Gatano's like, "No, I want to attack head on." And Spike's like, "Spock's like, hey, I'm the one giving the orders." And he tells him to take aim and fire uh, when he gives the signal. So for some reason, like Spock starts climbing a rock here, like up on the like rock face, and then he orders them to fire, and they just shoot for a couple minutes or you know a few moments. And he orders them to stop. So he climbs back down and he says that the creatures shouldn't be bothering them again. So like they scared him off or whatever, which he probably just climbed up, I guess, now and thinking about it just to see, you know, try to get a view above the fog. Um, but Katano's like, hey, you know, I think we should have killed those things. And Spock's like, well, fear is going to be fine for now. Like it'll do what we need to do. And then he tells Boma to return with him while uh they're going to go back to the Galileo and Gatano has to stay and guard the area. And I'm like, well, you know, he's fucked. You know, also like, the whole leave the guy behind thing. If you're going to use the fear tactic, you could just like graze them like, oh, hey, that weapon really hurt. Yeah. I wonder if they have the accuracy for that, though. And there's like shooting into the mist. They can't even see stuff. That's true. So, uh, yeah, Spock and Bomo, they go back to the ship and they say, hey, the creatures aren't going to bother us anymore. We did the thing. And Scotty pitches his uh, dangerous idea saying that he can adjust the main reactor of the Galileo to function with a substitute fuel supply. And Spock's like, well, we don't have a substitute fuel supply. And Scotty says that he can adapt their phasers and use their energy. But then McCoy points out that they'd be giving up their only defense and which Spock is like, well, you know, it's also our only hope. So kind of a rough uh, decision to make there, but I think you definitely just do that. And which like, I know I've, I've talked shit about Scotty before, but that dude's, like, brilliant just to come up with something like that. Yeah, see, I like, was going to say. That, that's why they brought him. See, well, see, that's, and once that happened, I thought, oh, that's why they brought him. You know, like, like each person, it seemed like each person had their moment where they, uh, they show why they're on the ship, except Lady Yeoman, you know, like. like Yeah. I just don't, yeah, she was, like, her presence there is irrelevant, but once again, maybe she's, there has to be one each thing. I don't know that, but. Yeah. Uh, Spock orders the yeoman. Oh shit, you guys are right. It's even in my note right here. <laughs> he orders her to give up her phaser. <laughs> son of a go. bitch. I there even wrote go. it down. So apparently I did see it. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to go back and look. All right, uh-huh. you guys are right. Hey, at least they gave her a weapon. Yeah. She never used it, but I mean, I guess I'm, I'm sure she would have if she had to. Well, she wasn't very happy if I remember right. She didn't really want to hand it over. 
Uh, she, yeah, she just wants to keep it as like a memento of the time she almost died to the big furry guys. Well, no, because once once he gives up all the weapons, they don't have weapons anymore. Yeah, then so, they're so, just totally screwed. Yeah, so it's not about her like not wanting to give it up. Because everybody was like, oh, if we give these up, we give all our weapons. How are we going to defend ourselves from these giant dudes? So there's yeah. freaking Bigfoot out there. I'm not going, you know, I need a weapon. Would multiple Bigfoot be Big Feet? Or uh, is the plural, plural also just Bigfoot? Or oh. Bigfoots? Paul? Bigfoots. Oh man, there's a bunch of Bigfoots. Big, there's a bunch of Bigfoots over here. <laughs> so really there's a bunch of big feet. feet. Unless you, unless big, you want to oh say that there's a big feet coming towards us. I'm yeah. Bigfoots, big Bigfeets. What do you think point. you call like a herd of Bigfoot? It's probably it's probably Bigfoot. It's like deer is deer. Yeah. Yeah, just, oh, the, I, saw, I saw some Bigfoot. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> So yeah, Spock, uh, yeah, he, he, she gives up her phaser and Scotty says, you know, hey, if it works then they're going to be able to reach orbit uh, with all hands on board, but that they won't be able to maintain the orbit for very long. And Spock's like, yeah, hey, in 24 hours, the Enterprise is going to have to abandon its search to maintain the rendezvous schedule. And after that time, it's not going to make any difference. You know, I wonder how they're keeping track of time because it doesn't look like anyone has a watch on. Yeah, I was curious about that as well, but maybe he just has a really, really good internal clock. Which, like, yeah, it would probably be hard to keep track on of time on, like, a planet there. You know, it's not like, well, I don't know. I guess in his instance, it's not like Vulcan where they can probably use, like, the sun and position of the sun and all that. Because you don't know where the fuck you are on this place or how many suns there even are. So well, you don't even know what a day is on that planet. Right. Yeah. So um, he says that uh, if they burn up, you know, in a decaying orbit and die on the planet's surface, then, you know, they're going to die either way. And then he gets another phaser from McCoy and gives them to Scotty, who just starts working on everything pretty much immediately. So, yeah, he's basically just like, you know, either way, we're fucked. So we might as well try something. So we go back to the Enterprise and they're still testing the transporter and they seem to have made it safe for them to use, which is nice. And Kirk orders uh, landing parties to the transporter room so they can start a search. They can get some landing parties down there. Uh, the engineer points out that the planet is huge and that it's just going to be sheer luck if they find the crew. And Kirk, as he, on his way out the door, he replies that he's depending on luck because it's the only tool that they have that'll work. So we go back down to the planet and Gatano hears some growling noises and then he suddenly gets hit with a big-ass rock in his hand and it caused him to drop his phaser. And then, like, a spear kind of narrowly misses him, and he tries to climb a rock wall to escape it, but he fails. And you get, like, a shot of one of the huge, like, Yeti guys just slowly approaching him, like, all menacing. And then it grabs him, and he, he screams, and we go to a commercial break. So he's he's screwed. I mean, really? He lost his gun really easy. I just want to throw it out there real quick. That rock. That was, was a big-ass big. rock. I, but I'm yeah, just saying. He shattered his hand. Yeah, but he could have picked it up with the other damn hand. You knew he was coming. <laughs> Yeah. You should have you you crawled around for that thing. Like, you you automatically thought about running. The first thing you should do is you better well, crawl around for that He probably gun. crapped his pants when he got hit by a rock the size of him. I don't Yeah, care. I think he did start to crawl for it, and then the, the spear came at him, so he backed up, right? I, I, I would have crawled anyway. I would have stayed down that deep <laughs> in that gun. You better, what I thought was really funny was, like, on the left side of the screen, you could see the shadow of the uh, film crew member that had to throw the rock at him. Oh, could you? Yeah, oh, you couldn't man. see like an arm or anything, but you could see the shadow of the person that got to chuck it. it. Was like imagine that day on set, like here, take this and throw it at his hand and don't miss. I wonder how many times they had to do that. Again, the head. again, retake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, after the commercial, Spock and Boma and McCoy are all searching for Gatano, and Spock finds Gatano's phaser and he hands it to McCoy to take to Scotty. 
Uh, Boma's pissed off because uh, Spock so casually gave up Gatano's phaser without knowing what happened to Gatano. And Spock hands his own phaser over to McCoy. And he's like, yeah, you know, here, this is just in case I don't make it back. So, you know, he's trying to, you know, ease Boma a little bit. Yeah. Which, like, what a stupid thing to get pissed off about. Like, you know, he's dead. Well, Spock also has superhuman strength. Yeah, he could probably fight those things one on one. But like, what a what a really dumb thing to get mad about. Like, oh, you just handed over his phaser and you don't even know what happened. Like, dude, it's, there's a pretty good chance he's dead. I mean, what are you gonna hang on to the like? What do you what does he expect him to do with it at that point? Like, hang on to it in case they find Gatano and then give it back. But it's like, you just give it back to him back at the ship, right? Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah, he's just being shitty to be shitty. Yeah, he's just hating to hate at this point. So, uh, yeah, Spock says that. Uh, he has a scientific curiosity about what happened to Katano, and then he just leaves to go investigate. So, you know, McCoy and Boma are just hanging out, and McCoy's like, hey, you know, he's, uh, oh, I don't understand why he's risking his life to go find Katano when he's just as likely to order him to stay put if he does find him, which is, like, really fucked up. <laughs> it's like he's just going to find him and then tell him to just stay there. Yeah, it's funny. And now he won't have a phaser. It's the it's the parallel in the weirdness of where Spock works. Yeah, it's just this whole episode is uh, pretty much a, is honor. It's like a episode of Spock. Like even though everybody else has their own story going on, all the stories don't really matter. The only thing that matters is the way Spock is the captain, the way Spock uh, t- does all its orders, the way Spock does everything. Like the whole episode pretty much really revolves around Spock, which is makes it real enjoyable. But also, what a kind of like shitty thing to do for McCoy to sit here and like Boma already d- dislikes Spock at this point. Like you don't need to to drive that nail in any further. Like. <laughs> Just, just leave it alone, dude. So, uh, so Spock continues his search, and he finds Gatano laying on a rock, and he picks him up, and then he just goes back to where he came, while some spears are being chucked at him. It's a really weird, calm scene of he just finds a dead guy and takes him back to the ship. We don't know he's dead, though. Let's clarify that. We, we like, yeah. We, we, at like, this we, point, I thought maybe he was alive. Yeah, I thought maybe he just a bot, a body he wanted to carry. But I also feel like he they would have made mention. He'd have been like, oh, man, he is alive or just anything. But he just calmly walks over, peels him off this rock, and then just leaves with him. It was, it was really, really weird. <laughs> these spirits getting tossed are just disgustingly. Yeah, uh, he's just uh, casually he just walking. He's casually walking. And these spirits are like, <laughs> like they weigh like nothing. Like they're really made out of styrofoam. Uh, yeah, like throwing, <laughs> yeah, throwing pool noodles at <laughs> like, him. Like, like, like Nerf balls almost. Like like, like they're like Nerf, <laughs> Nerf things. Like, oh, here you go. Like it's just. Not 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 as not the kind of hardness that the first one looked like it was major. Like the first time we saw it, you're like, oh my god, it's a spear. And they're like, oh, it's a spear. Like now I have to know if I should waste my time editing a screenshot of that and replacing the spears with pool noodles. Is that worth it? Like, <laughs> oh, is anybody yes. gonna see that? It's just something for yeah. my own enjoyment. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like, man. I just it's funny. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, he gets him back to the shuttle and takes him inside, and there's still spears being chucked at him and. Scotty's still working on the shuttle, and McCoy notes that the creatures didn't stay frightened for very long, and Spock's like, yeah, that's the most uh, illogical reaction, and the creatures should have fled when the crew demonstrated their superior weaponry, and uh, Spock goes on to think that the creatures you know, should have respected them, and McCoy argues that respect is a rational process, and that the creatures probably react with emotions like anger, and Spock's like, well, you know, I'm not responsible for their unpredictability, which is just like a, it's, that, yeah, just like a, he's just being yeah. a little shit. Yeah. He couldn't accept that he was wrong in that instance. Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. It's not, it's not my problem. They're unpredictable. It's like Spock is using logic to dictate things, unfortunately, but his logic doesn't 
understand these particular creatures because these creatures don't have logic themselves. Yeah, you know, so like, uh, like being like like logically, when you see somebody stronger than you, you should run away. But they don't think about that, you know. So it's like, it's like everything they do is mostly logical, and he just keeps talking about it. Illogical, it's logical. I don't get what they're doing. I don't get what they're doing. And it's like slowly but surely, you start to know Spock is lost because all, everything that should make sense don't make sense. So you can even see like, you can see kind of see the panic in Spock too. Not only that, but like they never showed like the the Bigfoot creatures being impressed by you know their weapons. Yeah. Yeah, like, like they it, went back to their camp and they're like, "Man, did you see that? Like, we ain't messing with that." Yeah, yeah to them, just, they're like, "Oh, hey, they just how... shot some some type of light out of their hands. They wouldn't have known. They're they're throwing sticks and spears." Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting that um that Spock every Spock should be every decision Spock's making is right, but it doesn't apply here. Once again, right? You know, it's like. Everything should be logical, but so it's all illogical. So this is the moment where Spock is pretty much the dumbest person in in on Star Trek, and it's not his fault. He just he can't no. think illogically to even understand it's... illogic. <laughs> like well, he can't he, he can't even think illogical to understand people being illogical. Like it doesn't make sense to him, which is causing him surely but surely. If you notice him, he starts panicking more and more, and he's like he can't understand what why isn't. Uh, decision he's making, why aren't they happening to show what it should be happening? Like, it's just, right. it's, it's, it's very interesting how they did this episode where it's just, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, every, it's just, I don't know, it's real smart. It's just real smart how it's, they did. It's just, it's one of those uh, unfortunate, you know, instances in life where you can do everything right and still lose. Like, and yeah. that's, that's what he's experiencing here. Yeah, like he just, and, and it's interesting, like you never, I've never, you never see him panic this whole time into this episode. Like, you and like not not to get too personal, but right. like from experience, I know the, like f- that situation sucks. Like they're so hard to accept. So like I understand, you know, that he's having an issue with it because, you know, we all go through that. And, yeah. and personally, like I have a really hard time dealing with those where you did everything right. and You still didn't come out on top. Yeah. So, I, like I, I get yeah. that. They have me, they have me just a couple weeks ago. As a matter of fact, I, just had, yeah. I did everything right and then didn't come up on top. So I, I get it. It's just it's interesting how they made it in, in the visual, the visualization while visual, whatever. They put it on it, it shows okay. that Spock <laughs> yeah. is a better supporting character to Kirk than him being in charge. Yep, it slowly shows that. I like that. Good way to put it. I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back around to that one, uh, but uh, yeah. So Bone says that uh, you know, hey, the uh, unpredictability was perfectly predictable to anyone with feelings, and that Spock his uh, precious logic brought the creatures down on them. And uh, Spock thinks that the creatures haven't attacked because, you know, out- done a full-on outright attack because they're currently studying the crew. And Boma's like, well, is that another one of your predictions? And Spock's like, no, that's my opinion. You know, if the guy that didn't want anybody's opinion earlier. Um, so suddenly their craft starts to shake very violently and one of the creatures is outside smashing a rock on the ship. So Spock orders them to seal the windows and Boma asks, you know, hey, what are we going to do now? He's, he goes to Spock. He's like, so since you have all the answers and Spock says that Boma's tone is increasingly hostile and Boma's like, well, you know, that tone isn't the only thing that's hostile. So <laughs> like, we're about to die. <laughs> yeah. And like the whole time that this is happening, Spock is just like struggling to get out how like get over how. You know, despite his logical decisions, two crew members have died. So we're up to yeah. 43 now. Katano is dead. And like, I didn't, I wasn't sure if he was at this point either. But now, you know, we get here. Yep, he's dead. Yeah. Which like, why even bring him back? Because you argued against burying him or burying the other guy earlier. So yeah. 
Is there anything like you're going to bring him with you because you can't have that weight? So, uh, yeah, Spock continues to think about what's happening while the crew is just like hammering it with, you know, what do we do? Like, what are we supposed to do here? And Scotty's like, hey, we need another hour, maybe two, but we don't have that kind of time. And the creature is still just out there beating the, the ship with a boulder, which like, hey, like awesome hull on that tiny ship that's not meant for things like that. It's just holding up real well. Um, and that sounded sarcastic, but it's not. But uh, yeah, back on the Enterprise, uh, we get another captain's log. It says that the landing parties are now on Taurus 2 and their instruments are coming back online as the ion storm starts to slowly disperse. And Ferris is there. Uh, telling Kirk that, hey, you got two hours, 43 minutes left. And Kirk says that he's aware of how much time he has. But Ferris is like, well, I'm just going to continue to remind you. And Kirk gives us like really annoyed. He's like, yeah, you do that. <laughs> just like kind of retort, which is fucking hilarious coming from Kirk. You know, they should have <laughs> said it under his yeah. breath. They should have added the joke in with Sulu saying something about time because he likes to keep time also. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's he's sitting over there like, no, nah, I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> he already got told to just mind the helm, like basically mind his own business. Yeah, it just occurs getting more, more and more annoyed by this dude. Like, dude, I'm waiting till the last moment. I tell you that two days ago when we started this, I said, the second I gotta leave, I'm gonna leave. Why are you still talking? Right. Uh, so Hua says that the sensors are giving false images and they're 80% undependable, and the radio communication is slowly clearing, but they still can't send or receive a signal. And then Ferris is like, hey, Kirk, like, what do you intend to do? And Kirk's like, well, you know, I'm going to continue the search uh, foot by foot, inch by inch, and by candlelight if I have to. And uh, he's like, I'd be thankful, you know, if you'd keep your nose off my bridge, which is like, damn, dude, go get him. Uh, and Ferris just like mockingly says that the authorities are going to be pleased by Kirk's diligence, but they're not going to appreciate the way that he addresses a high commissioner. And Kirk says, you know, he's like, hey, I'm in command here. So... Uh, Ferris is like, well, you know, only for another two hours and 42 minutes. So they're just kind of going back and forth. Do you think in Kirk's head, he's like, man, I hate this guy. Oh, dude, I get He's like, wow, just like, fuck this dude. Like, he doesn't know his way around the ship. Maybe we can push him out of an airlock and say he got lost. He's probably like, man, I should have sent him on that ship with them. I wonder if he could. If he has the authority to beam him down and make him part of the search party. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure at all. That's, the, that's a curious question. So we go back to the planet and Spock is asking Scotty if they have enough power to electrify the outside of the ship. And Scotty's he's like gets super pumped and he's like, hell yeah, we do. And uh, this is the point where I'm like, man, they actually make a, a pretty good team throughout this episode. Like they've been, you know, Scotty and Spock have been on the same page this entire time, which is really cool to see. But uh, yeah, so Spock's like, hey, everybody get to the center of the ship and make sure you don't touch any of the plating and, and make sure that you're all insulated. And then Scotty just like, grabs a space spatula and jams it into an electrical panel and like just wiggles it around and the ship gets electrified and the, the creatures start uh, like roaring and howling. Cause now they're getting shocked by the ship. Dude, I gotta say before, before we could join on what an amazing scene. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like what a cool way of dealing with it. And then the subtlety of uh, Scotty putting on the gloves really got me. Don't know yeah, why. Those gloves are insane. The the, the uh, it was just like oh you know what they know rubber and rubber and, and lightning and things like that like it's just the way the the fact that you even put on gloves is really cool to me like I know it's something subtle and it's something like kind of relevant to big scheme but like he put on gloves for the electric thing I thought it was really cool and they looked cool and the whole scene was cool electricity was cool it just it's real and it's really done really smart too like it was a real smart way of doing things I liked it a lot yeah um. During this scene, because I watched the subtitles on, uh, you know, he, like you said, he puts on the big gloves 
and he's just standing there with like this space spatula in this thing and like it's you know the lights are flashing and everything and on the subtitles it just said uh, i think it said growling or yeah, i think it said roaring uh, because the creatures outside are you know getting shocked yeah yeah and that made me think of uh, there's a twitter account called uh no i think it's called no context uh star trek where they just post screenshots of star trek with the subtitles with absolutely zero context and like a lot of them are just absolutely hilarious and for some reason like that just reminded me of them so i took a screenshot of that part and uh tweeted it to them oh cool but uh yeah so they shock the monster a couple of times before it finally stops attacking and Scotty says that he doesn't want to continue because he doesn't want to uh, risk the ship igniting. Or he just says igniting. I don't know if he meant, like, the ship or, you know, the fuel or whatever. Uh, well, they don't have any fuel, so. But Spock thinks, he's like, oh, you know, the creatures are going to be back. And he wants the crew to see if there's anything else they can get rid of to lighten the ship. Which now, you know, not, not bodies, just things. So... Uh, Boma notes that Gatano's body is in the hold, and Spock's like, yeah, we're going to have to leave that behind without a burial. And then, of course, Boma doesn't like that, so they start to argue about burying Gatano's body, and Boma says that he'd risk burying Spock if that was him. Would he, though? Yeah, at this point, probably not. (laughs) He would just chuck him right out the door and leave him. Uh, So, yeah, like, McCoy tries to break up the whole thing, and and Boma says that he's sick and tired of this machine, uh, you know, referencing Spock. And Scotty steps in to stop it, but uh, Spock's like, all right, you know, we're going to permit the burial, like, it's fine, if the creature will allow you to do it, or the creatures. So, uh, back on the Enterprise, Ahura is talking to Kirk and says the landing party, too, has been beamed back on board the ship, and that they have one casualty and two injured crew members. So now we're up to 44 dead, and we didn't even get to see that one die. So yeah, so Kirk asks her to put Lieutenant Kellowitz on the screen, which is uh, the guy in charge of the landing party, and he shows up on the screen, but he's all like dirty and beaten up, and he's real tired, and he says that they were attacked by huge furry creatures. Hey, he was messing with Sasquatch. You eating that beef jerky. <laughs> oh my god, what a reference. Jesus, I forgot about those commercials. Oh god. Uh, so yeah, it says that uh, the creatures are 10 to 12 feet in height and similar to life forms that they've discovered on Hansen's planet. Which I didn't think we were going to, like, we like the Hanson band that no- enough to give them an entire planet, but apparently we did. Hey, I'd rather it's them the have their own system. planet. No, than time the out, time out. This, <laughs> this Hanson was eaten. I believe those Hansons were I open, know. Right? I was wondering if you were going to call me nah, out nah, on nah, that. Nah, nah, trust me. I think one was O-N and one was E-N. I got you. I got subtitles, too. So Chris Hanson got a planet? <laughs> no, that's an O, too. Ain't it? Is that an O? I think that's an O, right? I don't know. Why does nobody use an E then? I don't know. We gotta find out who the famous Henson is, is out there. Nope. Chris Hansen, American journalist, does use an E. Mm. There. I'm taking that one. It's a win. <laughs> Shut it all down. Stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes on to say that Ensign O'Neill uh, got speared through the body and the detail and he goes on to like detail the injuries of the other two people. And Kirk's like, all right, that's enough. Go to the sick bay. So Ferris shows up again back on the bridge and he's like, hey, time's up. And Kirk argues that his crew were still out there. And Ferris is like, hey, you know, there are people waiting for medicine on New Paris. So we got to get there. And uh, Ferris is like, all right, you know, I'm in charge now, citing Title 15 of the Galactic Emergency Procedures. And he orders Kirk to abandon the search. Uh, Kirk argues that the Columbus shuttle hasn't returned and that he still has two search parties out there. And and Ferris is like, well, get them back here immediately, you know, and resume course for Machis 3. So Kirk tells Uhura to beam up. Uh, the two search parties from the surface and to contact the Columbus to tell them to, that they have to return immediately. Which give Kirk credit. Like he, he did what he was told. 
Like he could have yeah, told him he like listened immediately. He could have like told him like like hey come back you know like air quotes. Yeah, like wink wink. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, he orders Sulu to abandon the search and to set course for Marcus Three, and that's when we go to commercial and we come back with another captain's log, just going over the events that have happened, and they set course for Marcus Three. And Uhura says that the Columbus is going to return to them in about 23 minutes. So I was like, man, everything's going to get wrapped up then in that time, isn't it? But uh, we go back to the Galileo and the crew, and Yeoman Mears is trying to contact the Enterprise with no luck. And Spock asks about their weight, which is really a weird time to be considering how heavy they are. That was a shitty joke about BMI and all that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Spock asks about their weight, and Scotty thinks that they can achieve orbit and they're going to be able to hold it for at least a couple of hours. And he says that if they time it right, they can cut out of orbit and save enough fuel for a controlled reentry so they don't burn up. And Spock notes that landing there again isn't exactly an attractive possibility, but Scotty reminds him that, you know, they really don't have any other alternatives. So Scotty says that they can lift off in like eight minutes. And so Spock calls, uh, Boma and McCoy into the room to tell them that they have 10 minutes to bury Gatano. And I wasn't sure. Uh, if that was just a thing of him being like, you know, just giving them a couple of extra minutes or if like he's rounding up or, you know, the maybe trying not to be such an asshole. Like, hey, you got yeah. eight minutes. Like, that seems really specific. He's like, all right, you know, take 10 minutes, try to bury this guy. And he says that uh, it's clear outside for the moment. So he uh, he's just going to assist them with the burial. Yeah, which is funny that he went to assist after all the yeah. didn't want to do. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll help you guys do it real quick. Like, OK, why didn't you sit in the fr- like 20 minutes ago then? And for once, Boma didn't argue with it. Yeah. Maybe he just figured if he helped, it'd go faster, and they'd be able to get out of there. Yeah, so there's some logical thought, thought about it. We know that. Do you think they had shovels on board with them? Uh, I mean, that's a really good question. They probably would have had to get rid of those then, right? For weight? I mean, that'd be a random thing to bring with you on a expedition that you're not even supposed to be landing on a planet, technically. Like, oh, hey, we got these shovels. Maybe they used one of the big-ass spear tips and just you, shoveled out a hole. You know, that's probably what they did. Yeah. So, meanwhile, the Columbus has redocked on the Enterprise, and Ahura tells Kirk that the landing parties have beamed aboard and they're ready for warp. So, uh, Kirk orders Sulu to proceed on course for Machus 3 at space normal speed. And Sulu's like, normal speed? And he's like, yeah, normal speed. And that's just, like, fucking solid. Because he... I mean, you imagine that they can travel, you know, at warp whatever, and they're going, like, 20 miles per hour. Which is just a solid fucking move from Kirk. Like I'm gonna, it's that that malicious compliance where he's gonna do what he has to do, but, but do not slow. in the way he. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's okay, not I, doing it. I'm gonna clean my room, but I'm gonna do it real slow. So, yeah, yeah, whatever, yep. yeah, absolutely solid. That's why he's the boss. Yeah, exactly. And then like that's that's the one standout moment he gets in this entire episode is is just like, you know, sticking it to this guy that really shouldn't be there to begin with. But uh, yeah, so he orders uh, Uhura to direct all their sensor sections and direct their beams at uh, full function or, you know, to send the, direct them aft at full function and continuous operation until further orders. So yeah, he's just going to go real slow and just keep scanning stuff. And so on the planet, uh, they finish burying Gatano and they come under attack from, you know, flying spears and rocks. And McCoy and Boma get clear of all the weapons, but Spock is hit by this just big ass boulder and he gets pinned against like a rock wall. And if like if that doesn't break his legs, then I don't I don't know what will. <laughs> he he was he was, he was, he was totally by it. Yeah, he just he's just like ow, and it just like gets pinned there, and that's about it. 
Yeah, and like, he gets panned to me and he's like, nah, y'all leave. Like, no, we ain't leaving you, bro. Like, you're an asshole. You're a machine, but we're not leaving you. It, it's funny. Yeah. All, all the all the bullshit they did or whatever that he did, instead of like, yo, we're going to save you anyway. We know, we, know don't, we don't like you, but whatever. Just come on. Yeah, that's like that, you know, military camaraderie. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's, yeah, he's pinned against the wall and he's telling him, you know, just leave, just take off without me. And Bowman and McCoy, you know, they move into rescue Spock. And uh, he gets mad about it. Yeah, he's well, you know, logically, he's that under other, you know, 150 pounds they need. So, uh, yeah, they get the boulder off of him and then the three of them all run to the shuttle. And like, again, you know, Spock's like limping a little bit, but I think he's just, you know, just selling it. So they yeah. don't think he actually is a machine. <laughs> he's like, if I don't if I don't limp here, they're going to think something's up. <laughs> so, yeah, they get into the, the Galileo and they try to lift off, but the ship doesn't go anywhere. And Spock thinks or Spock thinks that maybe one of the creatures is holding on to it or maybe even on top of it. And he takes the controls from Scotty and he uses the boosters to free them and manages to to take off. But Scotty's like, no, you know, what are you doing? We need those. So they almost get to orbit. And Spock tells the crew that by rescuing them, they may have destroyed what chance they have left at survival. Uh, that, and that the logical thing to do would have been just to leave him behind. And McCoy, this, he's finally, he's, he's over it. And he's like, you know, he says he's sick and tired of Spock's logic. And that uh, Spock's like, well, you know, that's a most illogical attitude. And then he says that they're going to achieve orbit in one minute. And I really thought that they were going to go back and forth there for a second, but they didn't. Like, McCoy just kind of left it at that. This is a Spock moment, too, where he said, that's like a, lo- a logical attitude. I'd have punched him in the mouth. <laughs> the, right. moment he, the moment he said that I've been like this whole episode I want to like I want to punch him many times but this moment I've been like that's the most logical attitude oh yeah I'll show you logical give me a second boom yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd hit him right in the well, mouth but, quick and then he'd be like that was very illogical yeah, have, I, you just have to hit him yeah, again he'd be stuck him, in an yeah, endless cycle you gotta hit him again like oh you're actually illogical but like, yo shut up like say logical one more time I dare you <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so Scotty says that they have enough fuel for one orbit, but that using their boosters ended their last chance at a soft landing, which means they're just going to burn up in a decaying orbit when they re-enter the atmosphere, which is a really shitty way to go. Yeah. Uh, so Spock is like, "Hey, you know, it's better than what's gonna what would have happened if we landed safely on the ground." Which I mean, I I don't know if I'd rather be beaten to a pulp or burn up in a spaceship. So whichever that one's is, faster. That's a good. That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know which one's faster. Yeah. Uh, well, you probably wouldn't even survive the crash. If you did somehow survive, like, cooking alive in that spaceship, you probably would not survive the crash. I assume the ship would explode, so before you even get all the way down there, so you wouldn't even be alive to feel the crash. It would just explode, so it kill you immediately. Yeah. I, I guess that's, like, your best hope, which is just morbid as shit. Yeah. Well, everyone would die besides Spock. would be like, oh, I, I got a little singed. Yeah, he, he just slams into the ground and gets up and, like, dusts himself off. And he's like, well, that was a thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Scotty says that Spock mentioned a while ago that there are always alternatives. And Spock's it's like, well, you know, I must have been mistaken. And McCoy, like, jokingly says, he's like, well, at least I lived long enough to hear you say that. So, uh, yeah, Spock's in, like, his, he's like, hey, you know, the Enterprise is surely on course for Marcus 3. And I don't believe in angels. And then he and McCoy kind of note that it's the end of Spock's first command. And Spock seems like he's understandably upset about, you know, how the whole thing went. He's like, yeah, my first command. It was fucking terrible. Like, what a shit situation. So uh, Scotty then tells them that they've achieved orbit and that they can maintain it for about 45 minutes. And they try to contact the Enterprise again. and They don't have any luck. 
And Spock's looking around at the controls and he sees a button on the control panel and he just presses it like he's like he's a kid. He's like, what does this do? But he knows what it does and it ejects their fuel and causes an explosion, which just like rockets them through space. Which I don't know if that's how that would work. But I'm not what sure. do I know about, you know, space shuttles? I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure. I've seen it in movies before where they there's there's a gas in the air, then they ignite it and then it does some kind of cool stuff. But I, I heard it was unrealistic to think that uh you could do that in midair well like in space because there's no wouldn't that work by yeah like you the explosion would move the oxygen which or move all the air which then moves you but i don't know i'm not you know physicist or astrophysicist so or i don't even know if that's the correct term i i know yeah. so little about it yeah neither do i i'm just one i'm curious yeah so but does scotty does explain that spock jettisoned the fuel and he ignited it and uh, he says that their orbit is going to start to decay in about six minutes so at this point, the Enterprise is still scanning for signs of the Galileo, and Sulu sees something on the screen and alerts Kirk. He's like, hey, you know, check out the screen. And I'm like, is, is Sulu the only one that ever looks at the fucking screen? Because nobody else ever notices <laughs> yeah. anything. But then when you look at this scene, Kirk is literally turned around in his swivel chair with, like, his back to the screen. He's just back there, like, fucking around, like, making mouth noises. Like, he's not <laughs> looking at anything. Like, he wasn't even really trying to to do anything he's just back there like haha we really got that ferris and <laughs> that's it <laughs> he's like not paying attention at all so yeah so they look at the screen and they see the trail of the galileo and they start to scan it and cork's like or quirk kirk's like you know turn towards the planet and get the transporter room ready yeah. so uh back at the galileo scotty is putting together what spock did was a distress signal he, he says it's like sending up a flare and he's like man that was a really good gamble and Spock's like, well, you know, it's a shame that nobody's out there to see it. So uh, Scotty then goes on to say that they have 10 seconds until their decaying orbit puts them in the planet's atmosphere. And then uh, McCoy tells Spock, he's like, well, you know, that's probably going to be the last thing that you ever do. But, you know, at least it was human. And Spock's like, nah, it was totally illogical because, you know, we have absolutely no chance. And McCoy says, well, that's exactly what I mean. So, you know, he is showing his, his half-human yeah, side a little it's, bit It's there. funny. This is the first decision he's ever made that was purely made just because there, there might be a chance. He, he like, did something right. that Kirk would do. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, just, he did something completely against his uh, nature to, to like, okay, I'm not, I got nothing to lose. Let's just try this. And, then, you know, it's just, I don't know, it was, it was a very interesting journey of an episode. Yeah. So yeah, they uh they start to re-enter the Earth or the Earth's yeah the planet's atmosphere. <laughs> All of the electronics are malfunctioning, and the shuttle start to heat up, and you know like they're just getting really hot in there. And uh, back on the Enterprise, Uhura notifies Kirk that the transporters are locked in, and he orders them or orders her to activate the transporter beam. So the crew get transported from the Galileo, and then they go back to the Enterprise, and Sulu's like, well, whatever that was, it burned up in the atmosphere. And then they get a call from the transporter room saying that they beamed up five people and that they're all alive and well. Except for the two people that died. Yeah, yeah. they didn't even question like five. There were I seven. Was, I thought it was weird that Kurt did say only five and have a moment. Like, I, yeah. thought, I, think, I, th- I thought he was the only five and then he because w- he don't know who the five are. Kirk's like, were they my right. friends? Are those the ones that came back? Yeah. 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 <laughs> do, yeah. do I like any of them? <laughs> Yeah, just the, he, well, he, if not he, send them back. Yeah, he had that little, little smirk of achievement, and I think it was unnecessarily uh, not the right time for that. Per- personally, yeah. like maybe didn't think about it in the show, but the direct comment is only five. You take a moment of who you take a moment to to you know wonder who who died. You go check his captain, go see. 
Like, I think that should have been the next episode, not jump well, he, a, a, a next scene, not jump ahead to everybody together and it's all good times. He didn't even question if the, like, the teleporter didn't get the other two. Yeah. Well, Maybe I, he's just like smirking and he's happy about it because uh, he's used to, you know, losing everyone. So he's like, yeah, you know, five <laughs> out of seven, that ain't bad. Yeah, I did just, better than I thought it was. Yeah, to, my me, to, me just, to me, it's just weird. Like, I just, I find it weird. Like, I find it weird that there wasn't like, oh, only, uh, come on with only five, particularly from Kirk. Because it, it seems like something it'd be something that will pop in his, his head because his personality, because his crew comes first, as, as we've seen right. multiple times. So I think the cross been like only five, and then it, you could have his journey should be him to go find out who the two or three that died were. But he didn't. Well, do I figure that. at this point he's just happy that anybody made it and that you know they I don't, don't have to dick it. around anymore. I know I get it, but I just I think it's weird they didn't take a moment for him to be Kurt because it's not very Kurt like what he did. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he orders Sulu to proceed to Machus 3 at Warp Factor 1 so they can go faster than 20 miles an hour. And then uh, we cut to a little bit later, which I don't know how much later, but everybody seems all rested up and everything. And we're on the bridge, and Kirk kind of jokingly asks Spock about the illogical decision to jettison the fuel in the act of desperation. And Spock's like, yeah, I did that. And so Kirk's like, well, you know, desperation is a highly emotional state of mind. Uh, You know, how does your logic explain that? And uh, Spock says that he examined the problem from all angles and it was plainly hopeless and that logically under the circumstances, the only possible action would be one of desperation. He says that it was a, a logical decision logically arrived at. So Kirk then clarifies that he's like, Hey, you know, you reasoned that it was time for an emotional outburst and Spock's like, well, you know, I wouldn't exactly put it in those terms, but those are essentially the facts. Yeah. And so Kirk's like, well, are you going to admit that for the first time in your life you committed a purely emotional act? And Spock's just like, no, sir. So then everybody laughs, you know, haha. And Kirk's like, well, you know, you're a very stubborn man. And Spock's just like, yes, sir. What and a great scene. Just, I love you know, that part. Go on. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That, that was the one time so far that I've been okay with like the all's well that ends well ending. Like that was pretty solid. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that is the end of the Galileo 7. Um, we'll do, uh, we'll keep it, the, you know, our thoughts brief cause we already uh, are at, you well, know, we're yeah. approaching the two hour mark. So, yeah. uh, Paul, do you want to start us off then? I can do that. Uh, great episode. Spock is the devil apparently. And he's the worst <laughs> captain I ever seen. <laughs> and somehow, you know, now I'm joking around people, you know, I just, this episode was really, really good. Like they've been able to make. Uh, these great character uh, episodes where it just it makes the character expands on the character, makes them more interesting, and they've been really able to do that really well. And this is pretty much, this was Spock's episode of uh, logic, uh, logical versus logic, and kind of just debating on which is better, what's going on, uh, how it is, and I really enjoyed it. It's just it's a pretty it's a pretty good episode. Honestly, I don't have any bad things to say about it except just a CGI scene of the. When the CIT, a new ship they added in for the uh, for the remaster, I think that was terrible. Besides that, this episode yeah. this episode is a ten of ten, no matter what. Now, me complaining about the CGI thing, just me being picky because I'm a picky person. But overall, I don't think there's nothing I can complain about this episode except I'm sorry that and uh, uh, toward the end, uh, Spot picked up one of the spears and threw it like it was a pool noodle later on. Again, <laughs> so. Those spears didn't have weight behind them. Besides that, I mean, even even that though was kind of funny and, and interesting in its own way. But it's a great episode. 
I don't know. I just I feel like this show keeps getting better and better instead of worse on episodes. It just I'm enjoying it a lot. So I'm glad I'm doing it. But yeah, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I'm gonna put it up there with one of my favorites. It's hard to determine which one so far has been my favorite. But uh, I got what I wanted. I wanted to see Spock in command. I wanted to see him in a situation where him being in command probably was not the best uh, thing to to have. And it was uh, it pretty much everything I wanted. Like I'm glad that he wasn't just you know perfect about everything and everything went went well. Like it's, it was a very well written episode. Like the illogical creatures was the the best thing that could have happened for this episode. Like with Spock being you know logically in command of everything. I really like Boma. I hope that we get to see him again. I really hope he becomes like a normal guy. That you know we get to see him every few episodes or whatever. And I liked that we finally took the focus away from Kirk for a little bit because Kirk has gotten a lot of character development so far in this series. And I feel like, you know, it's really nice to see some of the other people get a little bit of that love. But uh, yeah, absolutely no complaints for me. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Got everything I wanted, even if it wasn't the way that I wanted it. So which which is is that's that's what made it better for me. Um, yeah, that's it, Dan. Uh, you guys pretty much said it all. Uh great episode i'd actually put this at my probably my second favorite episode so far honestly uh yeah you guys said it all i got nothing to add all right well uh with that then we're gonna wrap things up uh next episode we are gonna watch is gonna be season one episode 17 the squire of gothos i don't know if i'm saying that right but i'll find out and uh just looking at the screenshot for that and the name i don't think it's gonna be great but i've been surprised (laughs) before (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah that's it as always you know twitter at wwst underscore podcast gmail is wwstpod at gmail.com obviously you know where to find us if you're hearing this and if not then me telling you where is not going to help anyway but we are everywhere and uh that's gonna be it for me so thanks everybody for sticking with us through another long episode and uh we will catch you guys next time peace later